This is an ABC podcast. We had a, another young female. She came with her boyfriend and they came in and they said that since they both go to school and all that, they decided to have an abortion. We have lost women dying of sepsis from doing abortions themselves and not coming and getting help on time because of the stigma that attached to it. Most of the time, stigma is probably because of lack of knowledge by the healthcare workers. So a lot of workers do not really understand the law regarding abortion. And so they are a bit hesitant to take care of the patient presenting with abortion complications. Have you ever had an unplanned pregnancy? Were you in a position to keep the baby or carry it to term? Or did you consider an abortion? Of course, babies can be a joy. And family means a lot to our culture. But each year, tens of thousands of women in the Pacific face the difficult choices that come with an unplanned pregnancy. Can they afford to raise a baby? Will pregnancy make them susceptible to poverty, illness or family violence? And if they do want to have an abortion, is that even possible? I'm Hilda Wayne. Sisters, let's talk about access to abortion in the Pacific. Only 50% of women aged 15 to 49 use modern contraceptives, and research shows almost half of the pregnancies in the Pacific region are unplanned. Stigma, affordability, and poor access to health care are significant barriers for women who want to use birth control. And religious beliefs and stigma can also limit people's access to sex education. A few weeks ago, we tackled the issue of alcohol, but most be obstetrician, Dr. Nancy Umara told me how alcohol is impacting women in her community. She said a recent study by Port Moresby General Hospital showed unplanned pregnancies are a significant issue for women there. It's really surprising to know that 65% of the women who are coming to the hospital for their first pregnancy, 65%, have admitted that this pregnancy is not planned. A third of these women admitted that they have fallen pregnant within just a few months, less than a year, in that relationship. So when a woman doesn't want to be pregnant, what are her options? In most Pacific Island countries, abortion is only legal in certain circumstances. In Samoa, Tonga, Papua New Guinea, Vanuatu and many other countries, abortion is only legal if the mother's life or physical and mental health is at risk. In Fiji, it is also legal if the pregnancy is the result of a rape or incest. Illegal abortions can attract a prison sentence, but they can also be deadly if not performed safely. Charity Kiap is an emergency nurse from Port Moresby General Hospital. She recalls a case from earlier this year of a young woman who presented to the emergency department. She said that she was just having abdominal pain. She came with her mom and we had to ask her separately and then she said that asking her if she had a period and all that and she said she missed a month so after that we went and checked it and she said she'd seen some spots and all that so after we checked it and she told us 
that she wanted to speak to us alone and not the mother being present. So we asked the mother and we said, we'll have to check her inside. So we brought her to the room and once we wanted to check her, she got up and she told us that, no, I'm going to school. I'm doing my grade 12 and I have an issue. And she said, no, I'm pregnant. So I had to ask for some medications and the boyfriend helped. And now she started to leave. That's what she told us. So when we examined it, it was true that she had an abortion, so we had to transfer her to the ONG ward without the mother knowing this. So thereafter, we don't know how the mother expressed herself onto her daughter, but that was the classic scenario of what actually happened. Charity says this isn't an isolated case. One day we see a turnaround patient of 120 to 200 plus patients. And of them, there should be like one or two domestic related violence cases and or abortion or miscarriage cases. So mostly you're looking at teenagers ranging as early as 13 to all the way to young adults to middle adult women coming with that. So what are the risks when a woman or girl undergoes an illegal abortion? The type of injury that they have is loss of blood bleeding. So they'll just come in and say that, oh, we've got abdominal pain or bleeding like that. But then once upon examination, we see that the time that they took the medication or something outside of the scope of Medicare, and then they come in for us to help. That's where we triage them as Category 2. And then our doctors examine them and then refer them to the ONG specialist, where is the labor ward and the gynae ward for further treatment. It could have a long-term effect. Once they have abortion and all that, it can live with um, the imbalance of hormonal changes and all that. So they should seek um, medical professional help so that they could help them to, you know, recover sooner and treat them on antibiotics and cover them for any infections that may arise. As I mentioned, abortion in Papua New Guinea is illegal unless the mother's life or her physical or mental health is at risk. So what drives someone to take this illegal and risky action? Most of these cases, you look at young teenagers that they are not even working, they can't even sustain a, a child, or you're looking at single women that they don't have any um, steady income, or simply they're irresponsible, they can't look after the child and all that. So that's the whole, all financial issues and economical factors that are affecting us and the culture, of course, that plays an important role in them keeping the child or letting the child go. So. It's just a lot of factors that contribute to women practicing or having abortion these days. Stigma is also a huge problem, and it can lead women to try to hide pregnancies or abortions. We are a multifaceted culture, so when one woman, if she doesn't end up marrying in a proper marriage or like, you know, where there's religion, there's taboos and all that, and she goes around and have an affair with someone and then ended up being pregnant, then she would be seen as like, oh, she's not a good one in the family or within the community. So from that stigma and then that particular, you know, that um, picture that they portray to them, that's where they get themselves involved to like, we should get rid of it and let 
like let the child go and all that. So, you know, that's a really, really tough situation, but that's how many girls end up getting themselves involved in abortion and all this. She says in the cases of teens, even when they have come to the emergency ward for treatment, some are still afraid to admit they underwent an abortion. Most of these teenagers, they don't tell their parents that they are pregnant. So once they come into the, you know, emergency and then there you go, when we screen them and we see that like the parents, they usually think that it's their first, like first puberty stage that 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 particular, like the female is going into that, you know, menses and all that. But astonishingly, when they find out that their daughter is pregnant and all that, some of them, they refuse to believe that that's true. Because that's why we don't, um, you know, from many experience, we just refrain to share this to their parents. Normally we ask that female client that, did you share with your partner or do you have any husband, spouse? And they'll say no. And then they'll say, we came with our mom, but she doesn't know, so don't tell her. So then we don't tell the parents. We just say that our, she has some problem with um, female things, so we de- we just have to send her off to the specialist to see them. That's how we, we disclose. We don't tell any information to them due to the circumstances because after we release them and they go home, then we don't know what sort of treatment they're going to give on that poor patient. So that's how we, we handle it. It's a bit sad. If a woman or girl does attempt an unsafe abortion, what sort of symptoms should she look for? And when should she go to the emergency department for help? As soon as they um, encounter um, unusual bleeding spots, severe abdominal lower pain, backache, and all that, feeling dizzy, all this, they have to go to the emergency department as soon as possible to seek um, medical intervention because it's very, very critical as in their their life is in danger because they might lose a lot of blood and then it could be too late to revive them again. So the earlier they seek medical help, then then chances of surviving is high. That was Charity Kiap from Port Mosby General Hospital. This is Sisters Let's Talk with Hilda Wayne. Staying in Papua New Guinea, Gynecologist Dr. Francisca Kopunia co-authored a research paper on the experience and views of health professionals regarding abortion in PNG. Abortion or induced abortion, as I'd like to put it, um, is the intentional termination of pregnancy by artificial means. So as opposed to a spontaneous abortion, it can be a safe method and depending on who performs the procedure, and the method that's being used. Uh, Usually if it's a WHO recommended procedure, then it's a safe one and it has to be practiced by a person that is specialized in doing that. But if it's apart from that, it's unsafe, regarded as unsafe. Recently we have the drug misoprostol, which has become quite safe for a lot of women, but it's the method that's use the dosage and the person who is performing it, performing the procedure. In Papua New Guinea, abortion is illegal when there is a risk to a mother's physical or mental health. What sorts of circumstances can lead to a woman to seek safe and legal abortions? Okay, in PNG, the uh, 
the PNG abortion law is is uh, restrictive to only saving a woman's life. And recently it was reformed in 1993. Uh, it, it allowed for um, preserving a woman's physical and mental health, but that has to be agreed on by two medical officers. So when we say um, saving a woman's life is when the life of the mother is at risk and that is when abortion is allowed. Because of the restrictiveness of the law, abortion law in PNG, and for other reasons as well, there are many barriers to safe abortion, especially in PNG. And a number of them, if I can just mention them here, is the high cost, high cost in the private uh, hospitals. In the public hospitals, you'll hardly find um, abortion services there. And those in the private hospitals are quite expensive. And obviously, with the access to healthcare, we have problems with the road access. We have um, high cost of transport. And on top of that, we have stigma in the society and the healthcare workers as well. We have things like cultural barriers, religious um, laws. Those are the barriers that may prevent a woman from seeking safe abortion. So when women tend to tend to resort to unsafe abortions, now they they can develop all these complications, uh, short-term complications like bleeding, sepsis, uh, internal injury uh, to the intestines, to the bladder, which has also long-term effects of that. Um, they can develop what's called fistula. That's uh, complication of internal organ injury, and of course, psychological damage, stigma. And not only that, it can also have a burden on the health system and the economy as a whole. Like um, a woman presenting to the hospital may require blood, antibiotics, oxytocin theater facility, and surgeons. So that may also have an impact on the health system as a whole and the economy. You mentioned stigma, and stigma is also a huge barrier for both women and health professionals. In the medical community generally, are they supportive of safe and legal abortion, or is it is there a culture in that community as well, that uh, and there's stigma? My study was based on that, so I, I my study looked into the the knowledge of health workers and students on the legal aspects and what their views are on safe abortion. And it showed that uh, most of the support came from ONG, ONG, like obstetrics and gynecology doctors. And the list came from the nursing, nursing division. Yeah, so there is, there is um, not a full support on that safe access to safe abortion. Most of the time stigma is probably because of lack of knowledge by the healthcare workers. So a lot of workers do not understand really understand the law regarding abortion. And so they are they are a bit hesitant to take care of the patient presenting with abortion complications. And that may also affect the patient. Also, in the community, stigma can can have an impact on the woman, and 
So delay presentation to the hospital, that may be a contributing factor to the unsafe abortion as well. Laws, shame and lack of access still doesn't prevent unplanned pregnancies and they don't stop desperate women from ending a pregnancy. Why do people still do it anyway? Majority of the abortions are because of unintended pregnancy. So they are not ready for the pregnancy, but they are not using family planning. So that's probably why they tend to have some other reasons could be from rape, from um, incest, and other pregnancies also become unwanted after a life second, uh, change in life circumstances like relationship problem or getting a new job or scholarship, things like that. But majority of the abortions are from unintended pregnancies, either from not non-use or ineffective use of family planning. And your research has found that health workers and medical professionals are reporting an increase in unsafe induced abortion. How, how should this be addressed by lawmakers in Papua New Guinea? My research has shown that there is abortion is still practiced, and health workers are, are experiencing women coming in for post-abortion care. My research also showed that there is lack of understanding on the abortion laws. So a lot of healthcare workers are not aware of the abortion laws, um, regardless of the cadre. So even doctors to nurses and even the medical students. So my, my recommendation would be an increase in the education of these people in the, in the hospitals, in the schools, so as to improve knowledge and maybe reduce stigma as well. And in that way, then we'll be able to enable women to access safe abortion in our society. Should that change come from law and policymakers or is it more likely to come from NGOs and uh, grassroots organizations? I think it should involve all this political, at the political level, as well as uh, NGOs and the grassroots level as well, because um, we need to have this program put into our system, our education system, as well as NGOs, when they are giving their education to the health workers, and even the grassroots level. People need to go out and start educating the people at homes, in the marketplaces, in our society that this is a big issue and we need to address it. And only when people understand that, then we'll be able to reduce the stigma and maybe help our women have access to safe abortion services. Do you have hope with the future? Can you see a future where fewer women are practicing unsafe abortion? With the introduction of misoprostol, there is hope that we will have more safer abortion than unsafe abortions. The use of misoprostol is becoming more. So even with the use of misoprostol, it's it should be it should be much more safer than previously. Yes, yeah, so there is some hope. There is some hope, but we just need to get that information out to the rest of the society, especially those living in the rural areas, because they have 
no access to misoprostol. So they tend to use the unsafe, unsafe uh, methods. That was Dr. Francisca Coponi, a gynecologist with the Department of Health in Papua New Guinea. Wider access to birth control and sex education are important to reducing the rates of unplanned pregnancies and unsafe abortion for women and girls in the Pacific. We did a whole episode on birth control back in April this year. At the time, I spoke to Dr. Frida Wayman, an obstetrics and gynecology specialist in Goroka, Papua New Guinea. Birth control for all, all our facilities were very proactive in providing these services, but it depends on the individuals, even in town where they have, in the urban settings where they have access to it, like, you know, five or ten minutes walk to the facility, yet they don't come. Um, They're probably engaged doing other things for their daily living that they forget these services that will contribute to the financial needs of their family. So it's unemployment, and they're trying to make up for, the you know, survival. So they forget these services. Easily accessible. Mm. You have seen so many women each, you know, with their own story coming through your clinic. What is one situation that really stands out or situations that really stand out where women has not accessed birth control successfully uh, and uh, as a worst outcome? Okay, so for we deliver like five, nearly 6,000 a year in the hospital, 15%, 15 to 16% is teenage pregnancies. And these are the girls who need to be in school, and they are unplanned, mostly. So the you know younger population of women are missing out on this. Those who have already gone through, they know the services are there. But those who are sexually active, they are not aware that they can get it. So they fall pregnant. They end up going, doing um, abortions, unsafe abortions. They're coming to us. In Fiji... Andy Finau Tambakaukoro is the president of the largest indigenous women's organization in Fiji, Sokosoko Vakamarama Itauke. She believes access to birth control and sex education is increasing. I asked her how unplanned pregnancies are viewed in her community. Sometimes it's not seen as a problem. It's like a gift to the family, although nobody wants it to happen. But when it does happen, this not always that sanctimonious um, talk of uh, how come you know the girls got pregnant, it's being loose sexually and all that. The likelihood is for the family to provide support for the girl because they look at uh, a new addition to the family as a gift and not as a burden. But Recently, you know, our organization had um, a reproductive health project funded by the UNFPA in the 1980s, which worked very well throughout the provinces. And uh, it led to women seeking family planning methods as a voluntary thing that they did rather than an imposed thing. 
even in the rural areas. That was in the 80s. I'm not sure that this is happening nowadays because people have a lot more um, access in the world uh, market and in the pharmaceutical industry to access um, birth, uh, what do you call them? Those pills and um, and people are being given freely free advice of taking uh, condoms and you know protecting themselves from from having children instead of telling people to use condom for the sake of preventing diseases. Uh, it's widely advocated that they should take birth control pills so that they can, don't get pregnant. And that is uh, kind of telling the girls and the boys, okay, take that, it's, then you don't get pregnant. So become sexually active uh, quite early. Hmm. And then there's the social media now. Teenagers don't have to go to their doctors to seek advice. They check on their social media on what to do, and, um, and then there are the other kind of uh, social media um, shows that promotes uh, sex, and in all its forms and varieties and attractions. I mean, and that's a dilemma for society as a whole. And um, I think it's unfair to be asking women's organizations alone to respond. So, from what you're saying, you were saying that family planning and birth control are becoming an accepted practice in your community. They've always been accepted, but not to the extent that it is now. I mean, in, now it's marketed. It's part of a marketing regime for many people who provide the the way we thought to practice birth control and family, yeah, birth control in particular. Why did you think it's unfair to ask only women's organizations to respond to this? Because it's not a women's organization problem. It's a social problem that everyone is part of. How does unplanned pregnancy impact women? Well, we just have a lot of, uh, a lot more um, single mothers who become dependent on their families and their parents. But now we have some programs that allow single mothers to go back to school, to go back to university, because we have... Um, uh, Fiji is very good in the sense that uh, we have over 40 social protection mechanisms, and that includes looking after single mothers. That was Andifino Tambakaukoro from Sokosoko Bakamarama Itauke in Fiji. Thanks to all my guests today, Andifino, Dr. Francisca Kopunia, and Charity Kiap. Whether or not you agree with the law surrounding abortion in your country, perhaps these women have opened your eyes to the health risks women and girls face when they feel there is no other option. Thank you so much for joining me. Hilda Wayne for Sisters Let's Talk on ABC Radio Australia.
a weekly show by Pacific Islands Women for Pacific Islands Women, where we get together to talk about the issues that are important to us. If you've missed an episode of the show, catch up on our podcast. In the Pacific, just search for Sisters Let's Talk wherever you get your podcasts. If you're in Australia, you can listen to Sisters Let's Talk on the ABC Listen app. If you've got a topic you'd like me to cover on the show or any feedback, I'd love to hear from you. Send me a message anytime at the ABC Radio Australia Facebook page or email sisters at abc.net.au. That is S-I-S-T-A-S at abc.net.au. Next time on Sisters Let's Talk, Cheating Partners. How does it feel to be cheated on? And what drives the choice to either stay or leave? There was no support from him. He wouldn't even come to pay a visit. He moved on and, you know, went to his girlfriend, his wife. Now they live together. That's next time on Sisters Let's Talk. Sisters Let's Talk is presented and produced by me, Hilda Wayne. Our supervising producer is Kim Lester. Executive producer is Inga Stunsner. Our commissioning editor is Ilaria Walker. Sisters Let's Talk is an ABC Radio Australia production. I'm Tasol Nabungu next time.